chapter 6. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. God. Well, you say, what was that all about? Well, maybe it's none of your business. (laughs) Hallelujah. Maybe it's none of mine. Amen. Praise God. We pray out mysteries sometimes. Glory to God. And uh, many times I've found they're not about me, but they're, they're there to work something out. God's endeavoring to work something out for somebody else. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Well, for a number of weeks now, we've been talking about a specific issue related to prosperity, Bible prosperity. Uh, we've just been calling it qualified for increase. Amen. Qualified for increase. I remember Pastor Nancy telling that when they began pioneering their church sometime uh, into that uh, first year or two, she began preaching about Bible prosperity. And she was checked in her heart and went and talked to God about it. And uh, God said, well, it's good and right to talk about Bible prosperity. Uh, That's my will for my people. But you need to back up and and preach and teach, uh, because it's a new church, new congregation, uh, about walking in love in the home. He said, she said, really? Okay. And uh, he said, yes, because if my children are not walking in love in their home, they don't qualify for Bible prosperity. Amen. You see, don't, don't compare world, the world's worldly prosperity and godly prosperity. Don't compare them like this. Two ways to reach the same end. The, the, the definition, God's definition of prosperity is not the world's definition of prosperity. Amen? God's definition of prosperity is the whole life, the whole being, the whole of man being blessed. Not just a career that's taking off at the expense of a marriage and a home. Amen? Or someone having a lot of material wealth but no health. What good is that? You're just a sick man with money. Amen. Uh, Not just uh, having health and having wealth, but a mind that's unsound. Right? Or kids that are strung out on drugs. Prosperity begins in the spirit of man. What good is it, of course, for a man to gain the whole world and then lose his own soul? Amen. So worldly, uh, the world's way, amen, and God's way, we're not, it's not two different options to get to the same place. The world will never get what God will give you. Amen. I mean, God gives dominion. God gives righteousness. God gives peace of mind. God gives anointing. God gives divine purpose. Amen. The world will say, I'll give you this, but it will cost you some other very important part of your life, amen, like your destiny and, and your local church and your pastor and so, so many things that people give up to chase money and things, amen? Let's read First uh, Timothy chapter 6 before I make that statement I was about to make. We'll just pick this up, and this is, a, uh, of course, a letter that Paul wrote to Timothy, one minister to another, and he says, but godliness with contentment is great Gain. So don't ever let the devil tell you that there's no gain in godliness. Because there is the best kind of gain. Eternal gain. Amen. 
is found in godliness. For then, then he states an obvious fact. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothes, let us therewith be content. Now he's not saying desire no more than food and clothes. He's not saying that. He's saying that's all you ought to need inwardly to be satisfied, to be content. What he's saying is, is if, you're, if you think, I, can, I just cannot be fulfilled until I get that car, you're wrong. You're not thinking right. Or until I live in that neighborhood, or until I get this job, or achieve this in my career, I can't be fulfilled. I can't be satisfied. I can't be inwardly happy and content. That's all wrong. Amen? Amen. You, you ought to be able to be happy. You got something to eat. You got something to wear. Amen. You got Jesus. Right? In, I'm talking about inwardly. Inwardly, you're good. But you know there's more. And that's, that's fine. Amen? Glory to God. But it, then it goes on and says, but they that will be rich. One translation says, they that crave. Really, that's bringing out a, a more accurate Greek meaning, them that crave to be rich. I mean, that's what they're occupied with. That's what they're overcome with. That's what they're chasing in life is getting rich. For the Christian, that's wrong. Amen? If we're going to crave something, it ought to be, we, we crave after knowing Him. We crave after knowing God, and we want to walk in His purpose, and we want to live a life pleasing to Him. That's what I crave. I'm living for the plan of God. I'm not living for money. I thank God money's part of the plan of God. But I'm living for the plan of God and not money. Amen. So it says, what, what happens to someone who craves riches? Well, it says that they fall into temptation. The devil will use that wrong craving to get them off and to bind them up. Into temptation and a snare and notice into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. Now, we've, we've been preaching. I preached, wrote a book about prosperity. Believe in it, big time. But we don't want to ignore the warnings. We don't want to warn the, the warnings that go with it, right? There's destruction. The word perdition is another word for destruction. So he's basically, these things drown men in destruction and destruction, <laughs> Then it goes on, verse 10, for the love of money. Notice it's not money. It's the love of money. And in the Greek, it doesn't say the root. It says a root. A root of all kinds of evil. All kinds of evil is born or brought about because people love money. Amen. You could end up doing evil things if you love money. Again, I taught you this already, right? But I'll state it again. We don't love money. We don't love things. We're working on it, aren't we, church? We're changing the way we talk. I don't love cheeseburgers. I like them a lot. Amen. But we don't, I don't love my truck. I love my wife. <laughs> I love my kids. I love you. I love people. I love God, but I don't love things. Amen. I don't love stuff. I don't love money. And I don't love things. Praise God. Which while some coveted after, and that's really what we've been dealing with the last couple of weeks, is this issue of covetousness. 
after they have erred from the faith. Excuse me, let me just start back. For the love of money is the root of all, or a root of all kinds of evil, which while some coveted after, they're coveting after money, because they did that, notice what happened to them spiritually. They erred from the faith. They committed an error. They got off in their Christian faith. Amen? And they pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So we don't want to do that. We have to guard against the issue of money and things and materialism having an influence on us that pushes us away from spiritual priorities. Amen. God wants you to have money. He knows you need to have money. He wants you to have more money than what you got. A hundred times over, I'm confident in saying. I mean, a lot. Amen. But it cannot, it can never take the place in your heart, in your mind, in your passions, in your priorities, in your pursuit of your spiritual life, your walk with Him. Amen. So if, when, not if, but when a choice is presented between uh, money and pursuing God, you always choose the pursuing God. Amen. A job uh, that pays you more money but will never allow you to attend church. Well, I believe in prosperity, Pastor, but not that way. Not that way. We've got to be thinking right. Because the devil would love to promote you right out of the church. Amen. And it's up to you and me not to let that happen. So instead of the dangers of verse 9 and 10... He shifts and says, but you, O man of God, and if it's right for Timothy, it's right for all of us, flee these things. Run away from the love of money. Run away from a wrong desire for riches and wealth. Feeling like you have to have them uh, to, uh, to have your identity what you think it is or to, you know, and all that, to, to gain the status you think you've got to have. Because if you were to get that house, get that car, get that relationship that you think that's just the cat's meow, it's going to make you what you think you... It, once you get it, you'll realize it didn't. It won't. That, truck, that car won't make you, that suit won't make you, that job won't make you, that, that relationship won't make you. Only God. can. Only God. Only God. And only His plan can fulfill that place in the side, inside the heart of every person. So for us, what is our focus? We are to flee those things and follow after righteousness. We're going to follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Amen? Hallelujah. Well, see, I don't want to just be qualified for prosperity. I want to be safe with it. I have to qualify myself to walk in prosperity. Amen. But I also, it's not just about that for me. I want to be safe with it. I don't want wealth and increase and a great amount of resources coming into my hand to be my undoing. You know, God, God will not. He, he will not add something to your life that would hurt you. Amen. Hallelujah. 
And so much of that is, is what's going on internally, you know, in us. Glory to God. And uh, so, praise God. Let me say this. Bible prosperity, like I said, is more than money. But it does include money. We should not be ashamed that God's version of prosperity includes wealth and finances and resources. And, uh, you know, in, in everything, you know, this big controversy in the body of Christ over prosperity and the prosperity gospel and all of this, one of the things that will help you is, is ask yourself, any little question that comes up is, uh, who does it help? Who does it help, this argument? Well, who does it help in the body of Christ, in the church? Who does it help for the church to be broke? Or, to, or for the church to believe that it should be broke? Who does that help? It helps the devil. It helps him. It helps the enemies of the faith. Right. But you weren't wrong in where you were going in your thinking. Who, who, who do we help live and broke? In fact, if we live too broke, we're going to be the ones needing help. But to receive any help that we might need, someone will have to have more than what they need to be able to help me and mine. And so if it's wrong for someone to have more than what they need, then nobody could be helped. This is not really hard to figure out, but the church is really confused about it. The church is really confused about it. Amen. No, God wants us, He's made provision for us to be rich. I know the church has a problem with that word. I have a problem saying it to you because I know the flack sometimes that, you know, I don't get any from you, praise God, but, oh, you know, out there, out there. They have a big problem with that word. It just simply means a full supply. A full, abundant supply. But here's the deal about it. No one says when you begin to walk in wealth and abundance and increase and excess and riches that you've got to keep it all for yourself. Nobody's telling you that you've got to hoard it all and keep it all for yourself. I mean, do for you and your family what you want to do and need to do for your joy to be full and then receive a whole lot more than that. And if it bothers you, give that all away. Be a blessing with it. If you're at all concerned that you might have too much, there are plenty, I'm serious, there are plenty of people who are in desperate need of assistance and help and blessing, and you could be the channel through which God blesses humanity, builds buildings, amen, spreads the gospel, builds more and funds more orphanages. It's just the more you receive and can walk in, the more you can do and be a part of. You don't have to keep it all for yourself. And in fact, you shouldn't. God needs distributors. He is looking for people who will distribute. And this is where we have to get to, and I mean, 
you can say in your mind you'd do it, but, you know, and I could too, but God knows the truth. Amen. If $100,000 came into your hand right now, and in your rejoicing over it, something starts working in your heart about that's not for you. None of it's for you. I want you to distribute all of it in the next 30 days to those that I tell you. Would you do it? It's a rhetorical question. Would you do it? Well, how can we know with any assurance? Is there anything going on in the flow of your life right now with what you got? That you're hearing God say, give that $25 to so-and-so. Walk over there and pick up that gas bill for that, for that person right there filling up their tank. See, if there's none of that going on in our lives right now, then we are deluding ourselves to say if $100,000 showed up and God said it's none of it's for you, I want you to distribute it as I tell you over the next 30 days. We're deluding ourselves to think that we would do it if there's no distribution going on in our life right now on some level. The blessing that God made with Abraham, of which we are a part, we are the seed of Abraham in Christ, is not that Abraham would be blessed. That is not the covenant that God made with Abraham. That Abraham would be blessed, period. His blessing is included. But it says that you might be, that you might be a blessing. And qualifying for increase is demonstrating to God we're not going to fall into these very dangerous snares and traps. And that on the positive side that we are interested in distributing. Amen. And being a blessing with the resources that God would entrust to us. It's our job to demonstrate that to Him. Amen. Now, is, can you, could you catch that vision? Could that be part of your vision? To have an abundance for your family to have, to use, and to enjoy, and a whole lot more than that for the sole purpose of distribution. Can you catch the vision? That's, it's part of the plan. I'm telling you that's part of the plan for all of us. Okay. Well, I appreciate your honesty. Some of you are not sure. <laughs> Amen. Well, let's go to Hebrews chapter 13 real quick. Hebrews 13. We must develop a character in us that is totally free from covetousness. Totally free of the love of money. So Hebrews chapter... 13 and verse 5, and then on the back uh, screen back there, if you could put up the Amplified translation of that for me. Glory to God. So it says, let your conversation, now that's the King James, let your conversation or your lifestyle be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. 
For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Now see, we, we quote that all the time. God will never leave me or forsake me. But think about the context that's said in. Now we know he'll never leave us or forsake us in any situation. In any circumstance. But in the context that phrase was written and spoken, what is the context? It's about the temptation we all deal with to covet. To desire more than we should what someone else has for ourselves. He said, let your lifestyle be free from that. For God will never leave you nor forsake you. In other words, covetousness is not necessary. It is an unnecessary sin. Because we have a Father who wants us to have it already. We have a Father, amen, who knows that we have need of all these things. He knows we have need of food. He knows we have need of houses. He knows we have need of cars and clothes and resources. Amen? So we do not have to have covetousness as a thing. We are not to covet another man's car, another man's house, another man's wife. We are forbidden in the law, right? Uh, they were forbidden in the law. You don't covet another man's anything. His land, his house, his donkey, his, you know, man, that's a really, oh, that's a really nice donkey. Well, I mean, you could say that. You, if you could say that in being excited, you know, the Elmers, man, they have donkeys. So, oh, man, but you are, your donkeys are so, they're so cool. That's fine if you're really glad they have them. And even if you want your own donkey. Where you get into covetousness is going, they got, I don't, I don't have any donkeys. They have, how many donkeys you got? They have six donkeys. I don't have any. They, that's, that's too many donkeys. That's excess donkey. That's abundant donkey. That, they shouldn't have all that. And she's, he's like, yeah, whatever. Come and get all you want. Amen. But I mean, the Bible says in the law, don't covet another man's donkey. Don't covet another man's wife. Amen. But I love the context of this scripture here because he's saying to us, I'll never leave you. In other words, in the financial realm, he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Amen. Verse 6 says, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. Now, see, we can say that in any context. When sickness and disease tries to come again, we can boldly say, the Lord is my healer. He's my helper. Amen. But again, what's the context here? Money. Material things. In money. In looking to see what someone else has and I don't have, the Lord is my helper. I don't need to covet what Brett's got. I don't need to covet what Ken and Jennifer have. Because uh, God will get me my own. He'll get me my own. And I don't have to steal. I don't have to lie. I don't have to cheat. I don't have to... Amen. The Lord is my helper. Therefore, I will not fear. What shall man do unto me? Let's look at that in the Amplified Translation if we can. Hebrews 13, 5. Let your character, let your character and your moral disposition be free from the love of money. I like this. Including greed, avarice, lust, and craving for earthly possessions. And be satisfied with your present circumstances and with what you have. Why? For he himself has said, 
I will not in any way fail you. I am not going to fail you financially. I'm not going to fail you in your desire to have a house. I am not going to fail you in the financial and material realm. Glory to God. Nor will I give you up, nor will I leave you without support. He's specifically talking about financial support. Glory to God. I will not, I will not, I will not in any degree leave you helpless or forsake you or let you down or relax my hold on you, assuredly not. Now, believers everywhere, we've grabbed hold of that scripture for every kind of situation, and we should. But I always like to point back, what is the original intent? What is, amen, the context? He's talking about your financial life. He's talking about the things that you need in this life. Amen. We do not need to covet. Amen. We need to work to develop a character that is free from this thing called the love of money. See, it's actually, when the, the freer we get from the love of money and stuff, the more money and stuff we're safe to be able to have. We're safe in heaven, a big house, when we know that big house don't make you nothing. Amen. That, that, that big paycheck, that doesn't, mean, that doesn't make you anything. You don't get no special seat in church. You're not exempt from the helps ministry because you, you know, you're an MD and have a big medical practice. That means nothing. We're glad you're successful out there in the world, do dad, but when you come in here, you're like every you're a brother and a sister like everybody else. Get to work. Get to work. Bring your tithe. Amen. You know the person whose tithe is ten thousand dollars a month hasn't done a lick more financially in the kingdom than someone whose tithe is fifty cents. Some of these little kids that come up and put their money in are doing more. Remember the widow's might? Doing more in the eyes of God. Amen. And listen, what we give to the church, it doesn't buy you a voice in the church. Many, how many of you, you've heard these nightmare stories of churches getting off and becoming business run. All the board, all the board is made up of the the big money-making people in the church, and they run things. I'm telling you, that's wrong. This is why I don't know and I don't want to know. Because I don't want that temptation to treat somebody different. So you give something big, and, and next service you're expecting me to give you a big whoo, you know, come over here. You're not going to get it, because I don't know you gave it. You don't be doing it to impress me or to buy influence with me. You're not getting it. We give what we give to bless God because we love God and we believe in the vision. That's it. And we're looking at God for a harvest. If you're thinking about little old influence with little old me as your, as your big reward for what you gave, I feel sorry for you. I really do. I really feel sorry for you. Amen. But listen, we have someone who sees everything we do, everything that we give, everything, the heart, the, the motive, and he is our source and he will bless our socks off if we do it right. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Go over to Hebrews chapter 11 now with me. Y'all all right? Glory to God. And don't think, you know, uh, I don't have an issue with this covetousness thing, dude. <laughs> no, that, that thing will work on us all. 
Amen. Amen. It works on us all the time from both sides. We get around someone who maybe doesn't have an, hasn't attained financially, materially, what, what you've attained. Well, you better watch out. You better not walk around with some big head. You better not walk around feeling like, you know, making them feel less than. Amen. Because about 30 minutes later, you're going to get around somebody who's going to make you look poor. And now your attitudes turn sour on the other side. Then you feel inferior. Amen? Money and things don't make you. Money and things, they're just stuff. And it's all headed for ashes. All of it. Read 2 Peter. This earth's going to get renovated, and that little garden and that little thing you built, it's all going to burn. Everything. And everything you got is rotting and decaying, except the treasure you put in heaven. Jesus said, put your treasure, put your good stuff. See, I got stuff down here, but my best stuff isn't here. My best stuff is there. Amen. Thieves can't get to it. Amen. Uh, rot, rust, and moth can't get to it. See, my best stuff I keep up there. Glory. Well, let me, let's look at this example. The Lord dealt with me about a man named Moses. Moses got to where he got. God was able to use him the way he was able to use him because he passed the I don't love money test. And we will all have to pass the I don't love money test to get to the highest place that God wants us to go. Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith. And so for verse after verse, you know, the writer of Hebrews has been going on saying through faith, through faith, by faith, by faith, so forth and so on. And he gets down to the 24th verse, and he mentions Moses for the first time. Well, he mentions him and his parents in verse 23. In verse 24, notice what it says, by faith, how did he do it? How did he do it? He did it by faith. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused. Mark that word. He refused. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. What's he saying? What did he refuse? The throne of Egypt. He didn't refuse the shift manager at White Castle. He refused the throne of Egypt to which he was an heir. The most powerful nation on the earth at that time. He turned it down. Are you with me? Look at verse 25. Verse 25 says, choosing. Mark that word. Choosing. Choosing, rather, to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Got to pass this test. In the short term, would you rather choose to suffer the financial attacks on your finances and to trust God with your tithe while you watch your sinful buddies who don't do any of that race out ahead of you in money and things? They don't get persecuted and they don't get canceled 
And everywhere you go, you're under demonic attack and demonic assault. Being persecuted, being lied about. Moses chose. He chose to suffer with the people of God rather than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Notice sin is called a passing pleasure. You don't get to sin and it be pleasing forever. you got to pay the bill. Then look at verse 26. Esteeming. Circle that word. Esteeming. So we see refuse and choose and esteem. The word esteem means to prize or to value. So Moses esteemed the reproach of Christ as, a greater, as greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. He said, I counted a richer treasure to suffer for the coming Messiah and to live for Him and to live for His plan for my life than all the riches that belong to Egypt. Let's go through over those words again. He refused. Listen, you want to walk, walk the Bible path? Attain Bible prosperity? You're going to have to refuse. Refuse some things. That means you're going to have to turn down some money. You have to be discerning. When is God trying to use someone to bless you? And when is the devil trying to curry favor with you? With that, with that money. He's dangling money at you to get you out of the will of God. That kind of money you've got to turn down. Hello? Are you willing to be like Moses and to count suffering as a Christian in this day as greater worth and riches than the money and the fame the world will offer you? Moses had to pass this test. Amen. Let me read some of these phrases from the Amplified Translation. It says in verse 24 that Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He preferred to share the suffering and hardships and bear the shame of the people of God rather than to have the fleeting enjoyment of a sinful life. He considered the contempt and abuse and shame born for the Messiah to be greater wealth than all the treasures of Egypt. He looked forward and away to the reward. See, to live this way, to turn down worldly wealth and riches, to suffer for Christ in the present, you do that by looking beyond the present to eternity. We're not, this, this little life we're living down here, it, it's just a blip, just a, not even a drop in the bucket of time. And Moses had enough insight to look past the natural. Now listen, if, Brother Tony, if you could talk to Moses, see him and talk to him and say, Moses, I am here representing WHC and we have a question for you. It has been, let's say, five, six thousand years since you made that decision. Do you regret it? Knowing all that would come later and all the time walking in the sand and dealing with all those complaining Israelites and all that stuff he went through. People picking up stones to stone him. All the griping, the moaning, the complaining, all that stuff that he went through. No, no more sleeping on plush Egyptian-made cotton, but you're out walking in the sands of the desert with a bunch of gripers, whiners, and complainers. 
eating manna. Think about what he could have eat, eaten. He's eating manna with these Israelites for 40 years. Asking, do you think 5,000 years into that decision that he regrets making the choice he made? No, 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 no. His place in heaven? What has he been enjoying for five? What is he going to enjoy? What place is he going to hold with human beings and in the kingdom? Forever, for eternity. He looked past 70 or 80 years, 100 years, whatever it was, of life on planet earth to the eternal reward that would come for living for God and being faithful. And we saw, even while he was on earth, God took care of him. God defended him. God blessed him. He had power with God. He lived an adventurous life. I mean, he did stuff with a stick no man has ever done with a stick. Right? I mean, he got to have adventures with God. He saw God. He got up on the... Do you think he, would, you think he could talk him out of it? No, but we are laying down our destiny, Reverend Richard, all the time for, for what? For money, for stuff, for temporary pleasures, for alcohol, for sex, for whatever. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. So we have to have enough discernment to know that we're going to have to refuse some stuff. We're going to have to make some, do some choosing. Amen. At strategic times. And we're going to have to learn to realize what's really important and esteem that. I'm not living for now. I'm not living for now. Nobody knows my name down here. I don't care about that. I, I'm living. There's, a, there's one up there that knows my name real well. <laughs> I'm living for him. And he takes good care of me. Jesus on earth had to pass the I don't love money test. Remember the second temptation in the wilderness? You know, in our authority of the believer, we're going to get real deep into that passage. But anyway, the second test, Satan took him up on a mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of this world, and all their glory, all their fame, all their pomp, all their wealth, all their circumstances, all the political power, military power. And he said, all of this, didn't he? All of this I'll give you if you bow down and worship me. What did he do? He offered him the world on a silver platter and you, don't have to, you can have it and you don't have to go to the cross. See, he knew. I know what you're here to get. You're here, you're here to get the whole world. I'll give it to you. And you don't have to go to the cross. You don't have to be spat on. You don't have to be tortured. You don't have to be beaten. You don't have to suffer crucifixion. You don't have to endure the whipping post. I'll give it all to you. All you got to do is take a knee. All you got to do. That's all you got to do is just take a knee. I'll give it all to you. And Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. He turned it all down. He knew that was a lie and a trick of the enemy anyway. And when the Satan offers us stuff to compromise our faith and compromise our integrity and compromise our morality, amen, there came a time seeking a loan for this building under tremendous pressure and that's an understatement just to say that to you. Just a tr tremendous pressure. And I had an unscrupulous banker tell me on the phone one day, I'll give this to you. I'll, you got your loan. And I asked him, well, the big sticking point's been the appraisal. He said, don't worry about it. I got a guy. And when he said that, I had this sick feeling come over me. I said, well, what do you mean you got a guy? He said, well, I got a guy who'll just fudge it. We can only loan you 75% of, of what the appraised value is. We'll do the calculation. It don't matter. He'll just write that figure in there. And I, oh, man. And I had the devil right here like the, like the demonic Tom and Jerry guy. You remember that on Tom and Jerry, the little red devil sitting on his shoulder? 
with a pitchfork. And he was saying, Chris, you're in your house. Nobody knows. You're, this is a private conversation. Your wife, just, just shut up. Just be quiet. All you have to do is say yes. That's all you got to do. And you got your building, $1.4 million. That's all you got to do. Just be, you can get out from underneath all this pressure. And come on, this is money to build a building. This is money to fund the vision. Nobody would have known it. Just me. And oh, for a moment I was tempted. I was tempted because I saw a way out of all this, I saw a way out of all this pressure. And finally I mustered up the, no doubt God helped me, I mustered up the grace to say, you must have forgot, sir, who you're talking to. I'm a preacher. And we've been believing and sowing and believing God for a miracle. Amen. And I'm not going to stand up on my platform and forever tell people that God did it when I know behind the scenes it was based on a lie. And I just put the phone down and hit click. It's a big test. We went for two more years without a loan. But I could climb up on here today and honestly tell you down with my conscience intact, my integrity and my faith intact and say, God did this. Amen. Amen. Means all the difference in the world. Amen. And these are, these, are big, these are tests that come along in all of our lives. What can God trust us with? What can God trust us with? And so, listen guys, I know we have to stop here, but it's a bigger deal than what we think at the time when that thing, that unwelcome leading from the Lord comes at an inconvenient moment saying, give that. You know, my wife got me that last time we were in Texas, not this last time, but the previous, that briefcase there that I carry. And uh, I wanted that. I saw it, and I go, oh, I like that. I, I would really like to have that. And uh, God must have dealt with my wife because a couple days later, because in the store she goes, I showed it to her, and she goes, you don't need that. Put that back. <laughs> she did. You did? No, no. Where's Rex? Where's he at? Where's he at? You were very sweet about it. You, in your mind, you're helping me be a good steward. You don't need that. Put that back. You already have one, which is true, but I like that one. Well, so, uh, so a couple days later, she goes, she saw a purse. She's like, oh, that's right there. That she like. She goes, I, and I tried to talk her into it. You need that purse. You want that purse. Get that purse. So she goes, a couple days later, she goes, I, I think I'm going to let you buy me that purse. I love how she <laughs> phrased that, you know. I think I'm going to let you buy me that purse. So anyway, she, she, uh, she went, uh, maybe the girls that went and shopped and came back and all. Oh, it was Father's Day while we were out there. And, and this was California, not Texas, wasn't it? And uh, we went out to go to a service and there was a gift wrapped in the front seat of the rental car. I knew what it was. I was so excited. Well, anyway, long story short, I'm out at a meeting uh, with Dr. Jacobs, and I have this, this unwelcome thing come on me about giving that briefcase to Pastor Alvin. And you know what I did? Everybody's praising God in Espanol, you know, in Hispanic. We're at a Hispanic church, and... And I'm having this thing like, God, 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 no, I, no, God, no, 
I bind that. Satan, you're a liar. I'm like, I just got it. I just got it. My wife gave it to me. And, uh, but I had to, di- I just, and finally, I mean, I, I don't know what doctor's preaching on. And I'm like, oh, Father, oh, God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I got there. I said, Father, it, it's just a, it's just, it's a thing. Mm-hmm. It's just a thing. Yeah. If you would like me to give that to him, I'm, I'm happy to do it. I will. And that thing went away. Just totally went away. He was just testing me. Yeah. Would I? Now, other times, he's made me follow through. I had a really, really nice thing I got from, it was pinata covaline. That doesn't mean anything to you, but it's a, it, pinata covaline, it's a, it's a nice designer in Mexico. And I found this pinata covaline leather. I still have it at home. Uh, no, I don't. I don't have it anymore. I gave it away. Yeah. And it was the perfect fit. I'd been looking for, I'd been believing for a, a case for my iPad. And it was just and I bought it. And I was, uh, was at a meeting with uh, Dr. Hadaval, and he didn't have anything in his case, and he almost stumbled and almost you know, dropped his iPad because he, he preaches from it. And the Lord goes, give that to him. And I did the whole same thing. Oh, I, I, I looked in multiple countries for the right Y'all don't care about this kind of stuff, but I like it. You know what? I just, I, I, I just got it. I just, I just, I haven't even worn the leather smell off of it yet. Give it to him. And uh, so I did. He still got it today. Praise God. And uh, I, I was so thrilled that I obeyed God. You know? And, uh, but I already got, the, I, I, my iPad's in a, in a newer one, an upgraded one. I got a harvest. So I got to bless him, and I got, a, I got an even nicer doodad. It's just a doodad. But see, my, my original point was, when these things come up, it's a bigger deal than we sometimes think about. What's down the line? This act of obedience. Whatever your deal is that lights your fire. Amen. That prized thing in your house. How attached to it are you? Can can you, can God get it out of you? Can he get it out of you? Amen. Amen. Well, much bigger items or monetary amounts are attached to sometimes these these little tests. And so they're qualifying or disqualifying moments. And thank God I I have missed it. I have bound Satan when it was the Holy Ghost, you know, and, and not given something God wanted me to give. And, but he's merciful. He'll bring that test back around again. Maybe with that same thing or maybe with something else. But if we really want to go further, then we've got to demonstrate to him that as we come up, as we increase, one of the things as we increase, we need to show God, is that we'll give more 
not just spend more. When increase comes, are you giving more or are you just spending more? Not to say that you shouldn't spend more on yourself when increase comes. That's part of the point. But are you giving more? Are you increasing what you're doing for the local church? Are you, incre- are you uh, looking to God? Are you even interested saying, Now, Father God, i got 500 extra a month here. You want me to partner with the ministry I'm not currently in partnership with? You want me to, you want me to add to what I'm doing for the orphans in India? I'm yours to command, Father. Amen. And he might say, yeah, I want, you, I want you to add $100, and I want you to become a monthly partner of, with Kamal and Chelsea. And help them. Amen. And then I want you to take $400 more a month. I want you to upgrade your car. Oh, really, Father? Yeah, I want you to upgrade your car. Okay. See, get him involved. Amen. Show him. On the left, on right where we're at right now that we're listening and we're looking and we're looking to be led and we're looking to distribute. Amen. 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 I think that's enough for tonight. Praise God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Everything needs to be for sale in your life except your family. (laughs) She's not for sale. You know, there's no giving her. My kids, right? But everything else, everything, everything. I said everything is up for sale. I mean, what I mean by that is it's at God's disposal. Amen. Father, we thank you tonight.